Welcome, everybody, to part two of our series called The Basics. And I want to say a quick welcome to all of our services happening at our plantation campus all weekend long, also our gateway campus. Those of you who are watching or listening online, welcome to you guys. Somebody right now, you're probably driving in your car and you're trying to watch this on your desk. Okay, maybe you should switch to the audio version, okay, because it's not worth it. Do not crash your car, although this is going to be a really good time and a good message. So anyway, hey, well, guys, this is The Basics, and as we are here in the month of May, Gosh, can you believe it's already the month of May? Like, that's crazy, isn't it? But as we move into the month of May, we're talking about the basics. And there's uh, an interesting story of one of the great NFL, you know, Hall of Fame coaches, Tom Landry, who every year when he would gather at their training camp for the opening day of camp, one of the things that the great Tom Landry would do is he would bring in a football and he would stand up at the initial opening meeting of training camp. And when he would stand up and address his new team, his players, some who were returning veterans, some who were rookies, but all men who had been playing the game of football their entire lives, he would always start this training camp the same way each year. He would stand in front of his men and he would hold up a football and he would say, men, this is a football. Let's start with the basics. Let's start with, with the most simple, scaled-down truths that we can possibly find. This is a football. And for the first few days of training camps, legend has it, that Tom Landry and his teams every year would work through the most basic principles of blocking and tackling. Why? Because he understood that to become a championship team, you had to master first the basics. And that's exactly why we're doing this series through the month of May, talking about the basics of our faith. And to do that, we're going back to the most basic basics, which are found in the book of Exodus in the Bible, where God gave Moses and then his children of Israel, his people in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. The most basic of basics. And last weekend, Pastor Mike Ash started this series and talked about the first two of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me and do not make any idols. In other words, don't set anything in between me and you that makes sure that the pipeline between God and us is clear. And so this weekend, in all of our services, we're going to talk about the next two commandments. Commandments number three and commandment number four. Now, these are, are going to be completely random, completely separate, so it's going to feel kind of like two mini messages, but I'm really, really excited because this is uber practical stuff that we're going to talk about this weekend as we talk about commandments three and commandments four, and it all centers around this one big idea, and that idea is that how we approach God matters. How we approach God matters. The truth of the matter is how we approach everything in our life matters, doesn't it? I mean, how we approach our spouse on a daily basis matters. How we approach our kids. Kids, how we approach our parents matters. How we approach our job, our career, how we approach our boss, bosses, business leaders, how we approach our employees matters. Employees, how we approach our customers matters. Our approach in life matters, doesn't it? Everything about the way we approach everything in our life matters. Teachers, the way we approach our students matters. Students, the way we approach our teachers matters. Our approach in life matters. I was on an airplane recently, 
And, uh, and I was sitting a couple of rows behind the exit rows. And anybody who travels frequently like I do, you kind of know like the exit rows are like coveted space. Like it's, it's like all the benefits of first class with way less of the price. Like it's, so those are kind of the coveted seats. Okay, so, so as I, when I got on the plane, so, so this flight attendant on this particular flight, uh, which and, and the airline shall remain nameless because it doesn't matter for the sake of the story and I get myself in trouble when I start naming airlines. So I'm not going to name any airlines. But okay, so this flight attendant, I noticed that like her whole demeanor when I got on the plane and everyone's getting on the plane, she never once smiled. Like through the whole two and a half hours of the flight, she never smiled. And you know how they kind of grab the people in the exit rows and they, you know, they say, hey, everybody pay attention. Do you agree to help us in case of an accident? You know, can you speak English? That whole deal, right? Okay, and everybody's normally good. Well, there's like this one guy, like two rows up and two rows or two seats in, and he's flipping through the magazine. Well, this flight attendant is standing there. She's like, hey, hey, do, do you agree, whatever? And he's like, you know, and he's looking at the magazine. She goes, hey, buddy. Did I hear a buddy? Did I hear a buckaroo? Like, what is going on? Like, like, like what in the world? And so here's this lady, and she goes, hey, buddy, I need you to pay attention. This is serious. And, you know, he looks up from his magazine, okay, the whole flight, you lie, you die, like, right, like, I'm telling the truth, the whole flight, two and a half hours, this lady never smiled. She's coming down the aisle with a drink cart, she's like, you want something to drink? You want something to drink? You want, she got to me, I'm like, yeah, I want a cup of smile. What are you doing? Our approach matters, right? Like, she could have been way better at her job if she'd have been mindful of her approach. And what's true in all of these areas of our life is true as it relates to our approach to God as well. So here are the children of Israel. And for 400 years, they've been slaves in Egypt. And so day in and day out, for 400 years, someone else has told them where to go, what to do, what time to be there, what not to do, how to act. They haven't had to think for themselves, so to speak, for 400 years. And then God raises up Moses, the deliverer, and he sends him back and he confronts Pharaoh. And through these miraculous set of circumstances, God uses Moses to deliver the children of Israel through the Red Sea, parts the Red Sea miraculously, delivers them out on the other side and says, now I'm going to make you your own nation, the nation of Israel. I'm going to set you up as my people, which all sounds amazing and great until you end up with several hundred thousand people who have never, for 400 years, had to think for themselves and interact and relate to one another. So within about 60 days of them being delivered from the hand of the Egyptians, guess what? They're about to implode. Like bad things are happening to good people. That They're at each other's throats. It is ugly. So what does God do? God takes Moses and he takes him up on Mount Sinai and he gives to him what you and I know to be the Ten Commandments. He gives him the basics and says, listen, if these people aren't going to implode but want to reach their full potential, then these are the ten basics that they need to live their life by. And what was true for them so many thousands of years ago is no less true for us living in our culture and our day and age today as well. God has given us the same ten basics for us to live our life by that if we're going to reach our full potential, if we're going to become everything God wants us to become in our life, then we must live by these 10 basics. So as I said, 
Last weekend in part one, Pastor Mike set up the first two of the Ten Commandments. Then in verse seven, we go where we're going to pick up the story today. We jump right in at the third commandment. Ready? Here's what it says. Exodus chapter 20, verse seven says this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Another translation is probably more famous and popular. I'm sure you've heard it. It says this. It says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Anybody heard that? You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? So I did some digging this week, and what I discovered is that according to dictionary.com, the word vain means without real value, significance, or importance. To say something, to use a word, a phrase, or, or something, and to do so in vain would be to do it without real value, significance, or importance. And so what God is commanding is, when you speak my name, when you say my name, make sure that you don't say my name unless you really mean it, unless you're really talking about this value, the significance, and the importance that my name is. That is the third of the Ten Commandments. Now, let me call time out for a second. Because I don't know about you, but if I've got a group of people, several, several hundred thousand strong, some theologians tell us a couple million strong, who are about to kill one another, okay? They're about to be at each other's throats. Like, they're going to implode. Like, it is ugly, okay? Like, the duckling. Like, it's ugly, okay? If I've got a group of that many people who are at their wit's end and pulling their hair out with each other... And I'm going to give them 10 basics to make sure they don't kill each other? I don't know about you, but doesn't it seem funny that God would take 10%, one of the 10 big 10 commandments, and concern himself with his name? Like, hey, did you make sure when you say my name that you say it right? It's like the guy at the party that you're like, oh, hi, you introduce yourself, and he's like, hi, my name's Steven. And you're like, Steve? He's like, uh, no, no. Not Steve. Steven. Seriously, bro? Yes, I'm just telling you, if you do that to me at a party or anywhere, you will forever be known as Steve. I'll just call you Steve. Right? Like, like what's the big deal? Like, seriously, God? These people are at each other's throats, and you're going to use 10% of the Ten Commandments to make sure that you don't call me Steve, but you call me Steven? Really, God? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? What is the big deal? Well, when you came into your service, you were handed a bulletin. Go ahead, pull that out, because I want to give you three reasons why this is such a big deal. Why does the name of God matter? Why is it so important for us to not take the Lord's name in vain, but to use it with value and significance and importance like it is? Here's the reason why. Number one, maybe you want to write this down. The reason this is important is because his name is more than a name. It's a description of who he is. The reason why God makes this one of the big 10 basics is because the name of God is more than a name. That God's name is actually a description of who he is. And I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from Exodus chapter 3. Maybe some of you, if you're familiar with Bible study, you know the story. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been on the run from God for 40 years. But God wants to use Moses to be the deliverer, to deliver his people from, the, from Egypt. 
And so he comes to Moses in a burning bush. And some of you remember the story. There's this bush, and the Bible says it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And then a voice starts to speak from the middle of this bush, and it's speaking to Moses. And he tells Moses, listen, here's the vision. I want you to go back and confront Pharaoh, and I need you to be my deliverer, to deliver the people of, of Israel out of bondage and slavery after 400 years from Egypt. Well, in the midst of hearing all this, Moses is like, God, God, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, and I'm a little freaked out, and I'm a little scared, but God, when I go back and confront Pharaoh, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? Because if I go back and just say, yeah, yeah, a talking, flaming bush sent me, that's probably not the credibility we're going for here, Lord. So God tells him, here's who you tell them sent you. You tell them when they ask, whose authority are you coming to lead us out of here by? You tell them, I'm coming from the authority of I am that I am. I am that I am. In other words, you tell them the most supreme being in the universe. I am. That which was before time began and will be when time ends. You tell them, I am that I am sent me. Now, the word for that was Yahweh, Yahweh, Y-E-H, or Y-A, let me make sure I get that right, Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. Now, some of you who are familiar with Bible study, you know that word. You're familiar with the word Yahweh, and it means God is powerful. God is mighty to save. He's mighty to deliver us. Yahweh sent me. I am that I am. Now, here's the thing. When they translated this into English, they wanted to, to start to make sure that, that uh, people understood that God's name was not just any name, that it wasn't just a flippant uh, thing to throw around, but it was a powerful, special thing. So in the, in the original language, here's what they did. They actually removed the vowels of the word Yahweh until it was just four letters, Y-H-W-H. Here's what it looks like. So this is, this is what they be, it became, Yahweh. And here's why, because they wanted children, when they were learning the language, uh, to understand that whenever they saw the name of God, it was so special, it was so holy, it was so powerful that we got to remove it, the vowels so that every time you see it, you realize this is no normal word. This is no ordinary word. This is a powerful, special word, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Think of this, the name of God, Yahweh, sounds like our very breath, Yahweh, Yahweh. The name of God was so special, so holy, so set apart, so powerful, so revered that God, think of this, named himself a name that every breath we take, we would speak the name of God. If you've ever sat at the bedside of someone who's dying, you know the unmistakable sound of their breathing. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Think of it. God's name is so holy, so special, so powerful that with every breath we humans breathe, we are speaking his name. Did you notice in the verse, and maybe you've noticed this if you've, if you've ever read your Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the word Lord 
wasn't typed like the other words. If you can throw verse four or seven back up there, look, what, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. See it? It's a capital L and then it's lowercase, but all capital O-R-D. And then here it is again, Lord, L-O-R-D. Okay, 5,700 times in the Old Testament, whenever the name of the Lord is written in English, it's written this way. Capital L with lowercase, but all capital L-R-D. You'll notice none of the other text is like that. Why? Here's why. Because when the translators were translating it into English, the name of the Lord was so revered, so special, so powerful, that they wanted to make sure that when we read it, we didn't just fly by the word Lord, but we actually realized every time it was written, it's different. It's special. It matters. The name of God is not just a name. It is a description of who he is. Why does this matter so much? Why is this such a big deal? Number two, here's the reason why. Because there's power in the name of God. There's power in the name of God. His name means power. And every time we take a breath, God wants us to be reminded that he is the one who saves us from our sin. He is the one who delivers us from slavery and bondage and sets us free. The name of God is powerful. And that next level church is why this matters. That's why God made one of the 10 commandments about his name. And number three, the reason why this matters so much is because God's name has completely lost its power and holiness in our culture. Why are we talking about it some several thousand years later after the Ten Commandments were given? Why is this still relevant and important? Here's why. Because God's name, with every breath we speak, we're reminded of the power of God to deliver us and save us because his name in our culture today has been completely watered down, has completely lost its power. Until now, every TV show you watch Every song on the radio you hear, maybe even so many of us, the name of God is thrown around flippantly and casually. Oh my God. Oh God. I hope for some of you that just hearing me say that, it does, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Parents, come on. We will correct our children on cussing and we will let them use the name of God flippantly and casually. God blank it. These are all occurrences in our culture where the name of God has been watered down and consequently it's lost its power. It's lost its holiness. God is not an expression when we stub our toe. God's name is a name that is powerful and mighty. And we as his people, his children, must restore the power that is in his name. We can't just walk around, oh God, it's in the Taylor Swift song, two minutes and 35 seconds in. She's like, it's like, oh my God. Okay, your kids are singing that. I'm singing that. My kids don't sing it that way. You know how they do it? They go, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I love it. We whip that gosh in there anytime we can. If I do a little OMG on a text, you know what I do? I do OMG, O-S-H, O-M, gosh. I always, I always do. You know why? Because I never, never, never in any form or fashion want to take God's name and water it down and make it something casual and flippant so, so that it loses its power and its holiness. Listen, this is Satan's strategy in our life. Satan's strategy is always, and this is just a great example of this, is always to take something that is powerful and revered and awesome and beautiful in our life 
and water it down until it becomes flippant and casual. What's true of God's name is true of marriage in our culture, in our world today. What's true of God's name is true financially. What's true of God's name is true in our sexuality. It's true in our money. It's, living. it's true in how we live our life and living in righteousness and holiness. It's true in terms of human life itself. Satan's strategy is always to take that which is powerful and sacred and beautiful and strip it of it until it becomes simply casual and throw away. And it starts with God's name. That's why this matters. So come on, Next Level Church. Where have we gotten casual and flippant with God's name? Let's get back to the basics and speak his name with power and reverence like it, like it is what it truly is. He is Yahweh, the one who saves and delivers us and is powerful enough to save us. That's the name of God. So that's kind of the third commandment, how we approach God's name matters. But the fourth commandment flows right out of this. Verses 8 uh, through 11, here's what it says. Look, he says this in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Verse 11, he goes on. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, look at this, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, what's going on here? Here's, here's what's going on. See, in those days, they, the, the, before they were delivered out of Egypt, the God's people, the children of Israel, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Think of it. That's so much longer than our nation of America has been in existence. So go all the way back to George Washington and keep going another century and a half or so. That's how long they were slaves. So watch this. For four centuries, every single day, they had to get up, go to work. And if they didn't work, quite honestly, they, they didn't have food to eat. And the, you, the only way to provide for your family was seven days a week, 365 days a year, because we don't know if they believed in leap year back then or not, okay? A hundred, think of this, 146,000 days in a row. Ay, ay, ay. 146,000 days in a row, they got up and went to work. Then God sends Moses, delivers them through. They get out on the other side, and God goes, hey, guys, good news. Now, every six days, then you stop. Well, that freaked them out because they found themselves on the seventh day on the Sabbath going, what are we supposed to do now? What, how, how's this work? Like, like, what's going on? Okay, why would God do this? Why would God create the Sabbath? Here's the reason why. When you go to Exodus chapter 16, after they've been delivered out of, of Egypt, and God's starting to assemble them, he says to Moses, he says, Moses, here's what I want to do. I want to teach the, my people to trust me. And so he says, every single night when they go to bed, I'm going to give manna. And so it's kind of this fluffy bread-like type of food substance. And it's going to be all on the ground. And in the morning, the people of God have to get up and gather this manna and then make it and cook it into bread, whatever they did, okay, and eat it. But he said, here's the deal. At the end of the day, it expires and it goes bad. So if you try and keep any of this from one day to the next, it's going to rot. And the Bible actually says that it gets like maggots in it. And it's like, ugh, it's like disgusting. It's like a teenage awfulness story. Okay, there you go. That's how you get your teenager to read the Bible. Take them to the maggot verse. Okay, so, so there they are. 
And so God says, listen, every single day you have to do this. You have to come out in the morning and trust me for your supply. Trust me as your source. Trust me for your food, this manna. Except on the sixth day. On the sixth day, gather two days worth of manna. And here's the cool part. I'm going to do a miracle. And when you wake up on the seventh day, it's not going to be rotted and full of maggots. Instead, it's going to be usable and good. That way, you don't have to work on the Sabbath. It is my, think of this, God said, the Sabbath, a day of rest, is my gift to you. How cool is that? That God would, would prove his trustworthiness through something as simple as the Sabbath. A day of rest. Now here's the cool thing. What was relevant for them year, thousands of years ago, I believe, Next Level Church, is still relevant for us today. It still is. Six days of work, then rest. Six days of work, then rest. One out of seven, take a day off. Yeah, but Matt, is this really relevant for us? Is this really still a big deal? Which begs the question. Good question. Why is this such a big deal for us? Why? Okay, Matt, great. But what up with the Sabbath? Like, is this really still a huge deal? Yes, three reasons why. Here's the first one. Number one, if you want to write it down, the Sabbath, when we honor God with the Sabbath and take a day off, it forces us to trust God, not ourselves. The Sabbath forces us to trust God not ourselves, to trust God as our source of supply, not ourselves. Okay, listen, can I tell you something? We here in America today have a lot of issues. We have a lot of struggles. We have a lot of tensions and problems going on. But can I tell you what I believe one of the most epidemic problems of our nation today is? An addiction to busy. Workaholism. We Americans are addicted to production and progress. We are progress junkies, and here's the worst part. We now hold progress in the palm of our hand. And each and every moment of each and every day, some of you, you're so addicted to your cell phone that you have left children behind, and you've actually had your phone. And you're like, oh, thank God I have my phone. I can call them. We're addicted to it, aren't we? We're addicted to the ding of a text message. We're addicted, uh, we're addicted to, to the moment that a, a new email pops up. We're addicted to a phone call. We're addicted to emojis. We're addicted to progress and production. We are addicted to work. We are addicted to busy. And listen, God said, hey, six days of work, then a rest. You need Sabbath. And the way I will prove that I am trustworthy in my life is, in your life, is for you to honor the Sabbath, to take a day off. One of the best books that I've read on this, you guys, if you know me, you know that I'm an avid reader. I love to read. One of the best books I've read probably in the last five years or so on this topic of Sabbath and busyness and confronting busyness in our life is a book written by my friend, Pastor Brady Boyd, who actually spoke in our church about a year ago called Addicted to Busy. Okay, so you got to get this book. Like, you got to get this book. Some of you wives, don't elbow your husband right now. Just buy it for him and give it to him for Father's Day. It'll be fine. Okay, addicted, okay you got and read it together because if what's true of him is probably true of you too. You just probably can't see it. Okay, there you go. So addicted to busy. Okay, Brady Boyd, my friend. And, and listen to a couple of quotes in here. He says, every problem, Brady says, I see 
in every person I know is a problem of moving too fast for too long in too many aspects of life. Every problem I see too fast for too long in too many aspects of life. He says this in another part. I love this. Speed is the single greatest threat to a healthy life. Isn't that true? Isn't it true that speed is the single greatest threat to health in our life? Think of an area of your life where you want to increase its healthiness. What do you have to do? Slow down. Why? Because we are addicted to busy. We are addicted to momentum. We are addicted to adrenaline. We are addicted to our schedule. We are addicted to our phone. And when we slow down and honor God with the Sabbath, it forces us to trust God. So how are we doing at that? How are we doing at taking a day off? Number two, you know what it does? It forces us to relax. God wants you to relax. You came to church this weekend before summer hits and your pastor stood up on the stage and told you, you need to slow down. Your speed is killing the margins in your life. Your speed, your pace of life, your addiction to your phone is killing your marriage. It's killing your relationships. It's killing. Listen, speed will rob us. And when we decide one out of seven, I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to leave it at home. Uh, When was the last time you turned your phone off for real? Well, when my battery started to drain too fast, and I'm like, I just need to turn this thing off. That way it'll reset. That way my battery doesn't go down so fast. Huh, so speed was killing your phone. (laughs) Interesting. That feeling you're feeling right now in the pit of your stomach, that's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why we have a prayer team at the end of all of our services at both of our campuses. You know why? Because y'all need prayer. We all need prayer. You know why? Because God gave us the Sabbath as a gift, as a gift, 146,000 days of work in a row. And God finally says, hey, take this one off. Matter of fact, the next one out of seven forever in perpetuity, take it off. What an awesome gift. And yet, how many of us, every week, week in and week out, have been presented with this magnificent, beautiful gift from God? And we go, yeah, but God, I got to answer my boss's email. Yeah, but God, you know, I got to deal with it. Yeah, but God, I mean, God, you understand. If I don't do this on my day off, like, like the world's going to collapse. I mean, who's holding my world together? Who's holding your world together? You or him? Six days you shall work. On the seventh, stop. Yeah, but Matt, I'll feel guilty. Matt, I I don't know what to do. What do I do when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing? You know what you do? Whatever you want. Do, do, uh, uh, The Sabbath is escaping from what is necessary and embracing what gives us life. Do whatever gives you life. Take a nap, read your Bible, spend time with God, listen to music, take a drive, play golf, sleep, hang out with your kids. 
Go on a date, watch a movie, do whatever you want, dink around. When you study the children of Israel in the Old Testament, so this is such a cool thing. God gave them throughout, periodically throughout the, the, the year, uh, he would give them what are called festivals or feasts. When you read the Bible and you read about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Festival of whatever, and you know what it was? It was like seven and sometimes even 14 days of where they'd all get together and they'd just hang out. Now, here's the thing. Those of us who are spiritual, we want to read that. Well, you know what? They were in church 12 hours. Okay, listen, if we don't want to be in church that long, they didn't want to be in church that long. Okay, I'm just telling you, know what they were doing? They're just dinking around. They're playing Scrabble. They're just hanging out. They're just being together. They're just resting. Why? Because God said, hey, it's important. Number three, here's the reason why it matters. Because it invites God's blessing on our life. Plain and simple. The Sabbath comes with a blessing. Did you see it in verse 11? Look at the verse again. Verse 11. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, listen. In Christian circles, guys who do what I do, people who do what I do, pastors... We have a lot of things that we want to declare. This will bring the blessing of God on your life. This, if you do this, it'll bring the blessing of God on your life. And those things are true. But one of the things that we in the church world are guilty of not proclaiming enough in our world today is if you slow down, if you stop one out of seven, it will bring the blessing of God on your life. Think of it. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is start taking a nap. Take a day off. Why? Because when you do, once a week, one out of seven, it'll cause you to remember the world doesn't revolve around you and you don't hold the world together. The world revolves around him and he alone holds the world together. So here's my challenge, Next Level Church. This is a practical message, but I think it's good. Two questions. Number one, what tweaks and changes do you need to make and your approach to God's name. And number two, what tweaks and changes do you need to make in your approach to your schedule so that you can honor God with the Sabbath? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you. And Jesus, I pray for every single person who's listening today. God, I pray that you would help us to begin to approach your name reverently and, and, and respectfully because your name is powerful. Your name is great. Your name, with every breath we take, reminds us that you are the God who has the power to deliver us from bondage and slavery into new life. And Jesus, I pray for every single person listening today as well, that you would help us to tweak and change our schedule, our approach to our work week, that we could honor you once a week with a day of rest, with a Sabbath, where we would weekly remind ourselves that you alone, God, hold our universe together. So we trust you. God, thank you for these basics. I pray that we would be a church that embraces them and becomes everything you've called us to become. I pray this in Jesus' name and everybody and every one of our services who agreed said,